0: So I invite you to turn your awareness to the, the presence and the principle and the vibration of the Most High that we are immersed in. And what I know about that for myself is when I turn my awareness to this unseen force for good, this spiritual realm, this, this Godhead, this goddess nature, for God is both male and female, this principle, not person, of life. I am shifted and changed, and I invite you to join me in that in this moment, knowing that as we open ourselves to this, as we surrender to that, as David Hawkins so beautifully articulates, the most powerful spiritual practice is to surrender ourselves to God. Not to give up, not to quit, not to resign, but simply to understand that we partner with spirit. This is an activity of that in this moment. And so I address it, I look at it, I recognize it, and I declare my union with it. And so it is not subtraction. It does not diminish me. In fact, it enhances through not addition but multiplication. And so I stand with you in that multiplication. I acknowledge it. I, I sense and see and, and honor this, the, the presence of God within you, the Christ consciousness that lies perhaps dormant for some, but present in each and every one. And for this I give thanks. I know this day is blessed in every way possible. What is necessary for me to, to, to express, not in this, just in this moment, but each moment hereafter, I listen deeply. I partner with spirit. I allow the divine creativity of life to be in, in high, high partnership with myself and my being. And I know this for you as well. I know that our opportunity to live a life of fulfillment, of joy, of creativity, of freedom, of abundance, of prosperity, of health, happiness, beautiful relationships, and, all, and, and anything else that comes to mind for you that aligns yourself with a great good that takes away nothing from someone else, is right and perfect and for this i give thanks together we say and so it is well good morning you know as, as summer sets in people will say to me i think you should just go to one service and i always say yeah but what service do you want that to be is it, the, is it the 10 or the 11.30? Because when I say, we're going to go to one service, I go, well, I, I come at 11.30, so it should be 11. So anyway, just know that. So I wanted to let you know that I appreciate the, the input, but you know we just keep doing what we do because what we do is is so important and there's such great value, and so we just welcome it. But I just wanted to float that up because every once in a while somebody says, yeah, I want you to do one service. Okay, what time should that be? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever time you come, that's the one that's perfect, and I, we know that. Um, what we've been doing over the last um, uh, several weeks is we've been inviting uh, one of our mem- uh, uh, board of trustee members to come up so that you get to know them and so you get to see these people that work behind the scenes and, and perhaps you're called to be in service in this way. But uh, So we just want to celebrate our heroes, the people that are in such uh, selfless service to our community and, and provide the, the support, not just... Uh, uh, well, financially as well as spiritually and emotionally that allow us to continue to do what we do. And so I'm going to invite Sheila Visser to come up, and you're going to get to know Sheila for a few minutes this morning. And are you going to be able to stay afterwards? To... Yes. Okay, awesome. She'll, she'll be in the back with me, so I'm going to let you hold that. Welcome again. Good morning. So this is Sheila. This is what she looks like right here. And she is a, ma- she is a wonderful member of our, our board of trustees. And so I'm going to ask you, the, the question I ask everyone is, mm-hmm. when did you um, first start coming to the center?
1: it's been about five years now as of November
0: awesome, and so with being on the leadership and, and, and board, uh, you know what, what challenges does it uh, has it presented for you, and what insights or opportunities or, or personal uh, growth has it has it allowed you?
1: Well, I come to the center because I get my soul food here, and after experiencing it and growing. Um, I decided that I wanted to find a way that I could help and contribute. So that's why I volunteered on the board to be, of in, ser- to be in service. Um, they, the centre does such wonderful things both here and outside, and uh, it gave me a chance to be a part of that. It really hasn't presented any challenges.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and so, uh, what skill set do you find? It, you, I mean, when the things that you bring in terms of your mosaic of experience and, and training that uh, has been helpful for you.
1: My outside world. Uh, my background is in human resources, leadership, uh, and people management.
0: Beautiful. And so, what would you like to share with everyone? That's sort of a secret, but nobody will say anything to beyond this. I know that. Uh, but something that we might not uh, know about you, or. Uh, that you think would be fun to share?
1: Well, a fun uh, piece to share was uh, last September, I was invited by a fellow to go to uh, Scotland, and he proposed marriage to me at a hand fasting ceremony at a 5,000 year old ruin. So we are now uh, officially getting married in Canada in September.
0: Beautiful, awesome. Well, thank you, Sheila. I mean, anything else you'd like to share? That uh...
1: Um, I'm just very thankful to have this place to come and call home and uh, be, and be, because there's no judgment here.
0: Beautiful. Can I give you a hug and say thank you for your support and service and helping hold that space for us uh, in in what we stand for and what we are growing into? Thank Thank you so much. Sheila Visser. you know it's really great to be able to do that and to be able to for people so you know just if if it's bubbling up for you because we have a couple of, of uh, positions still open and we've got a, we've got a, actually a board matrix that we're we're looking at which is just a, sort of a schedule of, of what skills and things we're looking for we're trying to be a bit more strategic and so, uh, if, it, if you feel called to that, it's probably if you're, you, and if you're really too busy to do it, it's probably perfect for you because most of the people, what I know about leaders is they always can find something else to do, and and uh, eagles soar and chickens flock, if you know what I mean. So, so, John Maxwell line that I always liked, yeah. Well, it's true, leaders can always find something else to do. Leaders are like, hey, you don't need me, great, I'm over here, i got stuff to do over here. It's the nature and it's a consciousness you bring. So anyway, I just, I just float that up and I'm really grateful for all of our, our members of our board of uh, trustees to be, to be willing to step up and do that. So we are talking about patience, the attitudes of patience today. And so um, it's fascinating stuff, this whole thing around patience, because it seems so... It seems so passive, doesn't it, in the West, this whole thing around who we are and how we show up. But I wanna share with you, we've been using MJ Ryan's book, The Power of Patience, and it's a simple little, little gem of, of neat little stories and neat little headings. And I've asked um, our video crew to, to uh, pull up a, a, a short three-minute segment of her sort of a mosaic of, of presentations to give you an idea who she is, what she looks like, what she sounds like. And she touches on a few ideas here that line up really beautifully with how we approach life and spirituality. So, here she is, MJ Ryan, Mary Jane Ryan.
2: What are the other qualities besides kindness that are right in front of our faces, that are available to us in any moment, that we are too busy, too distracted, to involved with other things to notice, but that we can cultivate in ourselves to create more happiness in ourselves and in the world. That's what led me to gratitude. In the first six months, I cried every single time for putting myself first. So if you find it challenging to put yourself first, be compassionate. Why they have in all of their meditations, you start with yourself first, is because they believe that it's easiest to love yourself. Because they didn't grow up in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) It's easier to love yourself first, and starting from that connection to love, then you can extend it out. So one of the crucial other things here is that you can't say yes if you can't say no. You can't say yes if you can't say no. Otherwise, it's not wholehearted. You have to be able, in yourself, to know where the, your line is, where your notice. is. I once did, in fact, one of the practices I suggest in my book, is going for a month without buying anything except food. Yeah. It was very interesting It's quite challenging, because I, you know, you get all of the things are out there designed to make you want them, right? And all that advertising, And so it was hard. I, I was like, well, what do I do on Saturday if I can't go to the store? <laughs> so, um... But what I discovered was, of course, that the more I practice being grateful, the less the, the draw for those other things. You have to celebrate your successes. Celebrate your successes. Because when you notice that you're doing it right, that encourages you to keep on going. And people celebrate success in different ways. Some people are motivated by rewards, but not everybody is. So find out what works for you, to really celebrate the fact that you have made a change in your life and that you are doing well. And by doing that, we're actually creating our own existence in a happier and more healthy way than in the past. And so each and every one of us are really creators of our own destiny. And I wish you all a very wonderful happy, created.
0: So she she talks about a variety of things there. And I know it's uh, the video is uh, uh, not a little blurry. It's not high def like we love it. And uh, the sound's a little wobbly. But really, uh, she talks there about gratitude, which is such a powerful, powerful uh, tool. And I'm going to expand on that next week in terms of the practices of patience. Um, and uh, she also talks about there about, if you didn't hear it, I, so I'm repeating a bit of what she said is that when she first started practicing putting herself first, for the first six months, she cried every time because she was so hardwired to be of, to be of service to others. And it's not that we don't want to be of service to others, but it's, we have to fill our cup as well. It's not either or, it's both and. And to show up and realize, man, I'm a, you know, let's like, oh, golly, you know, I, I've done, done my preparation and as well. And, and then we're more vibrant and we're more available to life for everyone. And then she talked about... Um, Uh, saying no, being able to say no is saying yes to something else. So isn't it great to have the clarity and awareness around that so that we know when we're saying no to something it's saying no to this because I'm being called in a different direction. I just, uh, uh, when she was saying that, I just stepped down from our leadership council. I was one of the elected members to our organizational leadership council. And the reason I said no to it is because there's so many amazing things happening here. There's so many things that are unfolding in my life. And I realized that I was not able to give all the energy and time that I I thought was appropriate. And so I I did two and a half years and uh, did the best I could. And I'm still engaged with some of the committees I'm on. But I just realized, you know, it's time for me to let somebody else. I'm going to go. I've got other things. I've got other things I'm inspired by. And so I realized I can't, as much as I want to do it all, I can't. can't do it all well. But it's so I said no to that because I'm saying yes to something that, that's even juicier, in my opinion. So just wonderful stuff. And at the end there, she was talking about celebrating our successes. You know, that, that to we, I mean, Part of it is filling ourselves up, celebrating some of the good stuff we've done. Because many times we're so busy with the inventory of things we haven't done. So I want to pull up the first slide uh, with the attitudes of patience. little picture of a boy there fishing with his... Uh, with his pal, his dog. And the greatest discovery of, of, of my generation, William James said, and, and he's been, uh, he hasn't been with us for a long time, is that a human being can alter his or her life by altering his or her mind. Not a new idea, but this is a, an idea that is, has, has been with us a long time. And I'm reminded of the story of the two Minnesota boys. I was born in Minnesota, so I know these guys well, Sven and Ollie. And Sven and Ollie decided they were going to fly up to Canada to go moose hunting, And so they rented, they found a pilot and they flew up and they landed their plane and they went moose hunting and they killed this beautiful moose and they dragged it back to the airplane and the pilot said, there's no way that we can get that thing. Even if you dress it out here, we can't get that plane on the, too big to put on the plane along with the two of you, myself and all the equipment. And Sven says, well, we did it last year. And the pilot says, really? He says, yeah, we did it last year. Come on. So the pilot says, okay, let's give it a shot. And they stuff the moose into the plane and they put their gear into the plane and Sven and Ollie are in the back of the plane on top of the, the moose and the pilot's flying And about an hour into the flight. Sure enough, the plane crashes. And the guys are safe, but the plane's a, a wreck. And, and the pilot looks at them and says, see, and he says, we don't even know where we are. And Sven says, oh yeah, we do. We, this is the same place we crashed last year with the moose. <laughs> So, you know, the same behavior over and over again, uh, expecting different results does not make sense. So with this, this first idea that comes inspired by uh, M.J. Ryan's The Power of Patience, this idea that I'm still learning, that rather than thinking I'm a bad person, but rather to think I wonder what is hard about this for me. I'm in a situation, why is this hard for me? Why is it hard for me, as, as M.J. Ryan said, why is it hard for me to ask for what I need? Why is it hard for me to say no? Because some people are really good at saying no. Are they not? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Say no. no. There you go. See, you're good at no, saying no too. Perhaps the person that we're impatient with represents a part of ourselves we've disowned in, in psychological terms. This is called projection. So we're in, we, we see something going on and all of a sudden we're impatient with it. And, and a lot of times there's projection going on. And and to understand that and realize, oh, wait, there I am doing this, rather than simply do it, but to bring the awareness to it eventually unravels it. So projection is really popular. And when we're aware of it, then we're better able to to manage it when it starts coming at us. There's a world of difference between feeling like a failure and feeling there's something to learn. So we can decide, you know what, I'm never going to get this right, I'm incapable, blah, 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 or I'm learning something here. This is a new behavior. New behavior is always uncomfortable. New insight, new practice is always uncomfortable. And so we can decide how we adopt it or not. Give up or, or say, hmm, being, being willing to be uncomfortable. Why, when we ask why it's hard for me, what comes up for us? And many times what comes up for us can be remarkable. It can be transformative. Especially if it keeps coming up for us. Then it's, there's something there for us to notice, something for us to do. Our tendency many times is to concretize. We'll say, well, I've always been this way. I'm going to be this way forever. Or I'm going to, I'm going to have to change diapers forever. Anybody here ever changed a diaper besides me? I'm going to be doing this forever. And they just keep coming and coming. It's like, oh, oh, oh. I'm going to struggle financially forever. Is that one of your affirmations? <sighs> it's not enough, not enough. I'm going to struggle like this forever, never, never. I'm going to be stuck in this job forever. All those things that we can latch onto. And, and the infinite... The infinite always says yes. So when we're entrenched or concretized in these ideas, then the infinite always says, you got it. You got it. Hmm. What is the new idea? Where do we start? What's the entry point of unraveling some of that stuff? It requires insight. It requires awareness. It requires patience. There's a German proverb that says, long is not forever. It only feels that way. There's a wonderful story of a, uh, the next slide that comes up is a picture of a, a Buddhist monk, and this is uh, Kenzi Norbu, Tibet, Tibetan monk, and I'll tell you what inspired this quotation you see at the bottom of the slide. He, was, he worked as an extra in Bernardo Bertolucci's The Little Buddha, which is the story of Siddhartha, and he was one of the extras on it, and he was so enthralled with the filmmaking process that he decided he was going to become a filmmaker. So five years later, he put together a documentary called The Cup, an award-winning documentary. And it's a story of some Buddhist monks that become impassioned with the World Cup, which is going on right now. In fact, some people are probably home getting ready for it. I'm sure the German members of our congregation are home getting ready for it, along with the Argentinians. But so so anyway, what he said was he was talking about this Buddhist practice of impermanence. Everything changes. We're always, you know, our bodies are different now. The cells in our body are completely different than they were a few months ago. All been rejuvenated, and and everything is shifting and changing. But impermanence is not a bad thing. He said that without impermanence, I would fall into despair because. So he made this this movie. He said without impermanence, I would fall into despair because I don't have a BMW. But impermanence means my non-BMW state may change at any moment. Now, I don't think this fellow's like totally invested in a BMW, but he could be. But I think he's using it as a metaphor for our thinking and our minds. And so the idea is just because I don't have it now doesn't mean I might not have it later. But possibility always exists. And so the great thing about life is, is like the discovery and the open and the willingness to say, wow, that, that's for me, that's possible, a lot of times I learned to practice years ago when I was like uh, working and a lot one of my spiritual practices was working to exhaustion so working fourteen sixteen hours a day and then I would you know and, and then I'm too tired to cook a meal so I would buy a meal you know I'd buy some something not too healthy on the way home um, you know I wouldn't have time to do laundry so I'd have people doing my laundry so the extra money I was making working more I was spending to support my habit my spiritual practice of exhaustion and and but, but what I know about it is is that I had to unravel that that mindset and that consciousness because doing more and working harder was not productive, and I think it's all of us to, to have those but if i hadn 't experienced the the suffering in that i wouldn't have, it wouldn't have woken me up I would have kept you know I could have kept down that path and down that path and and nothing would have changed so but isn't it great that impermanence it couldn't it couldn't last it had to change it had to shift? This teaching and this philosophy helped me unravel that. Helped me shift that. So the, the next slide is the screws are just as important as the wings. And this is a quote by Ben Zander said: "There's in each of us a universal desire to contribute to others, no matter how many barriers there is to its expression. That all of us are hardwired to to serve." If you go back in the back today, you'll see a, um, a couple of folks that are with us today have brought uh, a guide dog that they're training today. And it's just so great to see this beautiful animal laying there, while they're training this animal to work with people that are visually impaired. But what a beautiful way to live your life and also, in a, and, and, and also a beautiful organization here in Edmonton. You know Tamara, the, the, as one of our members, comes in with her guide dog. And we've talked extensively about how these dogs are trained. Well, here's one of the dogs being trained right now, and it's just simply doing it, taking out and experiencing it. But it's that longing within all of us to help assist and support somebody in living a more fulfilled life. And there's no greater joy in the world than that. All of us have those capacities. All of us have those abilities. So when um, Mother Teresa tells the story about going into a factory in India, and there was a little man there, and he was humming and humming away and singing, and very happy, and he's in the corner working, and and he had all these little screws in front of him. And she said, what are you doing? And and he said, I'm making an airplane. The airplane can't fly with all these little screws. And so he wasn't sitting there just sorting screws. He was actually helping make an airplane. And I know we've heard those stories many times, you know, the construction worker digging the... The footings, and one says, I'm building a house. The other one says, you know, I'm, I'm helping support someone's dream. But it's that shift in perspective that can be so, so powerful and wonderful. They've done a study of what keeps people working in their jobs. The, the fifth most important driver in employment for people is money. That's the fifth most important. The number one is value, feeling like we're contributing to someone's well-being, offering something to the world in a bigger way. So, money's not the number one. Feeling valued was number one. The fifth slide. There's Lily Tomlin. The thing about the rat race is, even if you win, you're still a rat. <laughs> Wayne Dyer tells a beautiful story about. The, the hubbub that went on, he was in an a, a airport, airport terminal. He was flying to Greece to run a race. And uh, he used to run every day, ran eight miles every day for years. I, I think he's probably given that up. He had hip replacement a while back. But he was in an airport terminal, and the plane was delayed. And every, most of the people were really not happy with this, and they were you know, mumbling and complaining and upset. And he said there was this little lady there flying back to Greece... Um, in all in black, and through the whole experience in the terminal, she just sat there with this look of contentment and joy on her face. Never said a word. Just kind of kept herself to herself. Said so they got on the airplane, and he was sitting right across the aisle from her, and he was watching her. Said so for 13 hours she sat there. She didn't take a drink of anything, not even water. She didn't go to the restroom. She didn't watch a movie. She didn't turn the TV on or that it was available or whatever. It was there, just sat with this look of contentment on her face. And when they got off the plane in Greece, she was just so full of life and joy when she greeted her loved ones and her family. And he thought he's never forgotten that when he's traveled, the, 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 um, the presence and the, and the patience that she demonstrated on that airplane. Yana Van Zandt said, we have become an, uh, a culture of do more better fast people. Do more better fast people. There's a sports psychologist, Gary Mack. It's very interesting um, with athletes. And what he coaches them to do is when we participate physically, when when elite athletes participate at 90%, they function better than at 100%. Because the muscles are set up in in pairs. And what they have found is that when someone operates at 90%, if you're at 100%, it's almost like having your foot on the brake and the accelerator at the same time. The muscles can't complement one another. They work in these pairs, and they know now, so you, know, you always wonder why someone like uh, um, the fellow from uh, Jamaica, the world-class sprinter, how fast, but what they train is to, to relax those muscles so that they, they function more efficiently at 90%. I think it's just fascinating. At 90%, we actually go faster. So I know that it, you know many times we think it's 100% or whatever, but it's like, hmm. How can I work with my, my physical being in a way that where it functions more, more effectively? So I find when I'm, when I'm creating, when I'm doing anything, that I have to take like little, little breaks. Um, I just went down to um, Calgary last week and I have someone helping me finish a book up. And what we did is we worked in 90-minute blocks. So we would push through the 90-minute blocks and then we would take a 15-minute break. And it was, it was really simple, but it's like, wow. So, you know, the tendency is to... But, but, but it was a, a really a wonderful structure, but I realized it. So it wasn't about like sitting down and just grinding and out and grinding. And you need the brakes. You need to pull things, you, know, you need to pull yourself away and get distracted. You know, let your, your physiology um, take over a little bit. But 90%. Gary Mack, 90% we actually go faster. Actually, he's right here. I can read a little bit more of it for you. I marked it. Because voluntary muscles are organized into opposing pairs, like a brake and an accelerator going at the same time. With a 90% effort, athletes expend a lot of muscular energy, but they relax the antagonist muscles that hinder maximum performance. At 100%, the muscles are working against themselves. Fascinating, isn't it? The physiology of the body. And then the, the next uh, slide up here is the, the first rule of holes. When you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. So once again, same behavior over and over again. Digging deeper might not get you out of the hole. One of the principles she talks about in this, um, this part of the book is that we're all human. We're all human. And this idea that to understand that we don't control other people's attitudes. We don't, under, con, we don't control whether someone is receptive to us or not. We don't control how well someone listens to us. We don't control their motivation, their priorities. We don't control whether someone likes us or not. Or that they understand our point. Or how they interpret what we say. But we control our attitudes We can control our acknowledgement of what they have to share. We can have respect for other people's time. We can monitor our expression of enthusiasm and aliveness, but we can't control anything about another person. And when we make peace with that, that we lack that control, it just creates greater peace and presence in our lives. So it's so nice to put that down, that we have to be in charge Another beautiful idea that she talks about is that it will work out. This, uh, I, the, this attitude that we can believe in a happy future and we can wait for it calmly, that it will work out, that we set an intention. If we go to the next slide, it'll work out. There's a quote by Daphne Rose, Kingma, faith is a belief in the unseen, the quietly held conviction that even though you can't imagine how at some time in some place in the right way, the thing you desire will come to pass. So what we know in this room is that, that spirit always says yes to us. It always agrees with the sum total of our consciousness. And so as we plant seeds, we set intentions, we get to move in that direction. And we help nurture giving birth to that experience. But what many times people have set intentions and it hasn't worked out. But it's still the way to live a life. Because in it, in the longing for it, in the expression and moving towards it, we grow so many skills that we wouldn't grow otherwise. You know, and the things that brought me to this work, there were a few things that really connected me to this work. But once I got into the work and I realized how ill-prepared I was for it, there was all this learning that, that continues to go on. And I realized, wow, you know, I have certain... I have certain callings within me that say, this is possible, this is possible, I see this in my mind's eye. But what I know about is, is, it's far more valuable in my life to have that, and to work with that, and to develop the skills in that direction than it is for me to say, oh, just never mind. It keeps me in the game, and it keeps me on the cutting edge of my own learning, my own growth, my own deepening. And that's a beautiful thing. So, so I have the belief it's all working out, whether the, re- the results look like I think they should or not. So it's holding it loosely, understanding this, I think this is possible. So it's this or something better. I, I love that phrase. It's this or something better. It's this possibility or something better. So we can believe in a happy future and we can wait more calmly. We must live as if it will turn out without knowing precisely how it will end up. And that is that it's not always easy, particularly when there's a lot at stake. Ultimately, our faith has to ask us to believe that even if it doesn't turn out the way we want it, which I just spoke of, it is still for the best. We develop resources we never knew we had. We form friendships we wouldn't have otherwise, and we learn skills we could put to good use. So there's no downside to it. It's just being attached to results many times that can be that that sort of uh, uh, trap that we can step into. There's more than one way. The picture of the guy there... Patience is something you admire in the driver behind you, but not in the one ahead of you. <laughs> Ever notice that? I love this slide because I can identify with it so much. The guys, when I'm looking in the mirror behind me, oh, they're doing good. Man, they're following me perfectly. It's the ones out in front that I'm challenged with. A lot of our anger comes from believing we have the, the corner on the right way to be, that we know what's right. And I, find, I see this in myself many times. You know, I know the right way it should be. It should be this way, on, on, on and on and on It's like, you know, this morning, I, I, what, a, what an amazing uh, example of consciousness and, and, and patience and calm and order. Our soloist didn't show up. So here's Karen Porca and here's Anna Beaumont and here's Brown and here's Josh, our bass player, and here's Tom, our drummer. And so within minutes, they said, well, we'll do this. You know, the song that everybody stood up for and, and applauded? I mean, all of the, the training and all of the love of music, we got it as a gift this morning. So they were right there, ready to step up. But I just thought, wow, you know, it's, it's just like, okay, we move to the next possibility. And, it isn't, and that's abundance. That's prosperity. To have this talent available, to, you know, hey, how about this? Can we do this? And to celebrate it. So it's all Perfect. But it's not about making, controlling it, and saying, "Wow, whoever didn't show up, we got to we got to punish them." Uh, Things happen, life happens, and I and I realize in the scope of things, it's not, it's not that huge. But you know, in my first church, I, I didn't have a music department. It was either me singing on a Sunday morning, and I had a music director that would teach me three new songs on Sunday morning, and I would still do the talk. You talk about the horse and pony show. Oh my gosh, I finally said him, Dave, can we just play some CDs this Sunday? I don't think I can sing. through And I was singing songs that I had no business singing. But sure? I think he loved torturing me. Oh, come on, you can learn this one too. Oh, okay. Oh, So we could have done that this morning, but we're not. Yeah. So there's more than one way to do things. Our next slide says, welcome teachers of patience into our lives. Welcome teachers of patience. Picture the little rascals there, alfalfa and buckwheat and Darla and Spanky, because they're little rascals, right? And it says, to practice patience, you need a real rascal to help you. It's no use practicing on gentle and kind creatures. They require no patience. This was written in 300 B.C. You think they had a problem with it back then? Hey, man, we got a pyramid to build. Where is everybody? (laughs) In that chapter, um, MJ Ryan writes about this father that she was working with. And he said, you know, I was praying for patience. You know, God, give me patience. And then all of a sudden, a daughter showed up in his life, his daughter, Tina, with special needs. And here I was, he says, I was praying for patience. And then my daughter showed up with special needs which was truly my teacher in patience. You know, when you've got someone in your life that doesn't learn like you do or has different capacity to retain and and process information, you know, it calls us to a whole different level of of, uh, relationship with them. There's also a really great story in this about the Tibetan monk it's up in the cave, been up there for years and years and years meditating. And one of the herdsmen, local herdsmen, walks up and says, peeks in the, in the cave one day and says, what are you doing in here? And he says, I'm practicing patience. And so the herdman stands there and looks at him for a second and says, well, go to hell then. And so as he's walking away, here's the monk yell out at him, well, you go to hell too. So much for the practice of patience after years and years and years. I'll, let me tell that story to you one more time. It's, I'm just kidding. I'll be patient. That one will, that one'll, Dan, you looking for the punchline? That was it. Move it along, move it along. And also to be here now. You know, a wonderful book by Eckhart Tolle, who wrote, uh, when he was 29 years old, he had, a, he had a transcendent experience sitting on a park bench in Germany. Because his whole life had been one of dread and depression and thoughts of suicide, self-destruction. And all of a sudden, something within him shifted and he opened to this experience of the infinite. And he talks about, which inspired him to write The Power of Now. And, uh, you know, years ago, he was at one of our minister conferences in Vancouver. And no one knew him. The book hadn't come out yet. I think there were like 12 people that went to see this guy in one of the little classrooms. This guy named, who's this Eckhart Tolle, Tolle guy? And here he was, because he'd been connected with uh, our centers in in Vancouver. You know, I'd been floating in and out doing work with them. But really representing that transcendent. We are a transcendent movement. This idea that there's a power and presence for good in the world. And then when we start to have that experience, when we start to connect with it, there's a shift that goes on with us. You know, when I went to John of God, uh, I was very hesitant. I was very skeptical and hesitant and then when I stepped into that, when I had the experience, I realized, oh my gosh, this is the this is the experience that Ernest Holmes was writing about his whole career—that God is immanent, that God is, is that lives in and through and as each one of us—and and, and uh, I've been looking at some of the YouTube stuff. You can go on YouTube and Google "John of God" and, and see some of the people what they have to say. But it was it has been up to this point in my life the most powerful experience of that uh, that I have encountered. And, and so, is it, is it unique? No, it's just a piece of my experience and, and to, to dip into that and, and to connect with that. But what it requires is being present and being open and being available. And I really had to look closely at the, the, the signs and the wonders along the way that guided me to that because there were some very well, wonderful people that I respect very highly that brought me to that. But it was, it's really an experience and it's so rich. And that's my longing is that we build that experience here because it's not just there. It's anywhere. It's, it's possible anywhere. And so when we come together and we do this work, we've got a wonderful group of volunteers that continue to work our crystal bed, which is really nurturing that energy individually and collectively and you know all the nuances of it and and where it lines up with for you um that's yours but what i know is that there's something sweet and powerful and beautiful about that and i want as much of that that's part of my spiritual practice i want as many people on my team supporting me in my own spiritual evolution as i can possibly call forth and for me i see no downside to that quite a beautiful beautiful experience so two quotes here, Tolle's quote. Whatever, whatever pain or conflict we feel always is some form of non-acceptance, some form of resistance to what is, you don't want what you got and you want what you haven't got. And underneath that is a quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich was incarcerated by the Nazis during World War II. He was in a concentration camp as a Christian minister. He said, It is a mark of a grown person, he says, man, It is a mark of a grown-up person as compared to a callow youth that we find our center of gravity wherever we happen to be at the moment. That's that power of now. It's being grounded in the truth of our being. It's not letting and being so grounded in it that whatever shows up in our life, it doesn't throw us off. So I want to share with you one of my favorite uh, songs that I think is a mantra for many people. I, I know you'll know it if you want to get up and dance to it, you can. It's the uh, ladies in the video booth cue it up for us. It's song um, been around for probably, I don't know, I think in the early 80s uh, that uh, the group Alabama wrote this. And we'll have it up there in a moment. Because it speaks, it speaks so clearly to this idea of going faster and faster and faster.
3: I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. Oh. Do this live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Don't know why I have to drive so fast. My car has nothing to prove. It's not you, but it'll do zero to sixty in five point two. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until I snow. It's a race and there ain't no room for someone in second place I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until that's no point. Oh I really live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't
0: Yeah. So maybe that's your theme song. How's that working for you? But it's a very popular idea. You know, it's interesting when I, I watch this video. I have a anybody remember uh, Saved by the Bell? With, do you remember Mr. Belding on Saved by the Bell? really close friend of mine, Dennis Haskins, played Mr. Beldig. And Dennis and I used to show up at the same auditions in Los Angeles every time because we looked similar and we were about the same age and they were always looking for some you know, white dude that could play a cop or, or a, a, a military person. And so Dennis and I would read. So he finally got this job on Sa- Saved by the Bell. Um, and uh, I still once in a while um, uh, hear from him. But he managed to uh, book uh, Alabama into a lot of the concerts when they were starting out. So it's all interesting how it all cross-pollinates with, uh, you know, our life stories. What Ernest Holmes said is that what's important is that while we live, we live. And, and uh, to understand the capacity that we're... we're that how we can unravel our awareness is so that we live in a greater freedom and a sense of moving into the fulfillment of our lives because we're all hardwired that way. We're, in, we're, we're, we're tripwired to contribute uh, beyond perhaps what we can imagine, but we're also tripwired to, to develop the capacity so that what we have to offer continues to evolve and grow in, in powerful and amazing ways. I mean, that's the, the human potential movement, what they're talking about. But I also know what happens at the human potential movement many times is it stops in that second kingdom of consciousness of manipulation and, and creativity. And it's, a bu- it's nothing wrong with that. We, gotta, we, we need to be good at that. But it's also stepping into that mystical, into that powerful, into that power of now that Tole is talking about. That's the journey. That's the journey that we're on. And so patience can be so powerful in our experience to slow down at times and ask ourselves, why is this triggering me? Or what, what am I called to do here? We talked about meditation last month, and it's such a good fit for this idea of patience to have the space in our lives where we can listen deeply and and be guided and directed and and know what the right next steps are to call into our experience the right next person or or brilliant idea that, that moves us forward. And so that is our opportunity. And it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, Reverend Catherine McLeod will be with you next week. And then I'm going to c- come back the following week and we'll do the, the uh, practices of patience, which are really, there's some wonderful, wonderful uh, practices that uh, we can all look at and, and uh, expand and, and utilize in our lives if we see fit. So we'll see you then. Thank you. Blessings.